0: This episode is brought to you by Kettlebell Kickboxing Canada. Get into your best shape with their comprehensive programs. So sign up now to either their basic package or warrior package with the code PSPKB, all caps, for 15% off. Stay fit this winter with Kettlebell Kickboxing Canada. We are the Pro Sports Podcasters, where no sport is left behind. It's time for another episode of the Pro Sports Podcasters with your hosts, Nee Wallace-Bruce, Colbert Durand, and Justin Williams.
1: On this podcast, we have guests from all over the world covering every sport from artistic
0: gymnastics to weightlifting. We are something for every sports fan on PSP. Whether your interests are the athletes playing the game, the coaches, or the media, we've got you covered. Fun and informative, honest and engaging. You won't want to miss a
2: single episode. So let's kick this off.
1: Welcome back to the Pro Sports Podcasters. I'm your host, me, Wallace Bruce, and I am joined by Mr. Justin Williams. Justin, mate, how you doing?
0: I am living the dream in yourself, good sir.
1: Mate, not too bad, not too bad. Uh, as you know, Justin, we have a, a broad range of guests that come on the show, many of them award winning. And Today's guest is no different. She is a Peabody Award winner for journalism in the United States. She's also the host of the Ladies Room podcast, and you can find her on deadspin.com. I should also point out she's a former attorney, so Justin, watch your mouth. Anyway, <laughs> without any further ado, it's Julie DeCaro. Julie, how are you doing?
2: I'm good. How are you guys?
1: Amazing now. <laughs> <laughs> now nah, we'll be right. We'll have a good chat. Now, Julie... You spent a lot of time in Chicago, so let's get straight to it. Were you able to attend the winner's parade for the Chicago Sky after they won the WNBA this week, just gone?
2: I was not. I was working and stuck um, in my office doing work. My husband did have to go in for a lunch, and he was like texting me like, I'm at the Sky Parade, and I was really, really jealous. <laughs> it looked amazing.
1: Yeah, and it's something special. I mean, it's the first title win for mm-hmm. the Sky, and They've been through a lot. Candace Parker had come across, so there was that narrative as well. Yeah. Um, winning for a hometown team.
2: You know, the NBA, just in the past couple of years, I mean, I know they've been around for 25 years now, which seems incredible, but in the last couple of years, it feels like they've really sort of made huge gains in the public consciousness, a lot of it having to do with things that happen off the court, that, you know, the way they involve themselves in the 2020 election, the way that they constantly stand up and fight for social justice. And I think a lot of people um, who maybe wouldn't otherwise check out women's sports have started checking out the Sky and checking out the WNBA Because of those issues and the Minnesota Lynx were the first ones to stand up against police and, you know, in their own hometown of Minneapolis back in 2015. So if you care about social justice, racial justice in any way, there's no better league sort of to be interested in than, than the WNBA. But, you know, a whole generation of girls has grown up that are daughters of Title IX. We grew up playing sports in school and playing club sports and travel sports and watching sports just like boys did, just like our brothers did. So to see a women's team have a parade that so many people turn out for and people are talking about and to see them be the lead story on the news is huge. Um, You know, it means so much not just for women's pro sports, but I think for every girl who's playing sports right now, for every woman who played sports as a child, it's sort of validation that yes, we we recognize that you do this too. And that, you know, you are athletes in your own right and that you deserve recognition for that. So it's just been really a feel good kind of thing, um, I, I think for women in Chicago for sure, and around the country at large, as the WNBA and the NWSL continue to get bigger and bigger and bring in more fans.
1: No doubt about it. And The Chicago Red Stars are doing well in the NWSL as well. But just staying with the sky for a moment, this has obviously been a a busy season as well because the league had to go on pause for the Summer Olympics. Mm -hmm. And now things will, I guess, return to more regular patterns in 2022. But there is still a little bit of a gap. Now, in saying that, we have a new basketball tournament starting up in 2022, which is provided by the Athletes Unlimited suite of sports for women. How important is that for, I guess, building depth and I guess creating opportunities for players who would otherwise miss out in between the WNBA seasons?
2: Yeah, I think it's huge. And, and you know, part of the reason is that, you know, the women's do have somewhat of a truncated schedule. I mean, you know, the NBA schedule goes from what from right now from the fall all the way until it's time to go swimming. It's warm enough to swim here in Chicago and Lake Michigan And the NFL, I think, has done a really great job of being a 365 sport. There's always NFL news in the offseason. There's always NBA news in the offseason. We haven't really had anything like that for women. So I think that anytime there is something happening outside of the regular schedule to keep them sort of in the public consciousness and remind people that this is happening to sort of get people to reminder of who all their favorite players are and a chance to see them. I think that's hugely important because that is why leagues like the NBA and the NFL have been able to make such huge strides. And I mean, you know, the NFL owns a day of the week and they're closing in on owning three days of the week. Um, <laughs> and, you know, they've created this, this league where you just, even if they're not playing, you're talking about them. And I think the goal is to get women's sports there as well.
1: For sure. And... I really feel like this year has been a bit of a breakout for women's sports. I think it's going to continue. It's it's the irresistible force. And if you're in the way, you're going to get run over.
0: Yeah. So looking back to even the Olympics, right? When it came down to, to soccer, everybody here in Canada, obviously, were glued to the finals because it was Canada first time in the finals, which is great. Yeah. But <laughs> I mean, you know, it's all good. You know, change the color of the medal. It's all good. You guys have it's had true. your it's- fun. True. Share it north it's of the true. border. We love you. Just have, the same. Yes. <laughs> right? <laughs> but I have been following the NWSL, albeit based on my schedule. I can't watch all the games, but I do read up on it and keep score of everything. And one of my favorite teams to watch, aside from Portland because of Sinclair, is Chicago Red Stars because I find Davidson is the most offensive center back I have ever met in my life. Not actually met, but I get to watch how much of the NWSL is loved in Chicago? Like, are there billboards for it over there? Like, what's going on?
2: You know, I don't live that far from where the Red Stars play. So, I mean, there's, I mean, you love to see people, and this year especially, I feel, you know, we always get these huge boosts to women's sports after the Olympics or after the World Cup, right? And the challenge is to keep people interested the rest of the time. And I mean, and one of the reasons that I think Uh, People that, that really, like me, who really struggle with the Olympics and everything that comes with the Olympics, with the kicking out the homeless and, you know, all the money that people are promised and then don't get... It, it, you know you can feel really conflicted about the Olympics because it is one of the few times that we get to see women's sports presented on par with men's sports, right? I mean, so it, it's huge. And so we always get these big boosts after the Olympics or after the World Cup when everybody wants to go out and support their local team. And the challenge is to keep that going. The Red Stars as well have a really great social media presence, you know, and, and we've got so many great players here. You know, we've got Julie Ertz and um, Alyssa Nyer and, you know, just all these people that you see on the national team that people want to come out and see. So I think the city is really behind them. I think they've probably got a bigger and maybe not in the stands, but I think that people care about them on level with the Chicago Fire, which is our MSL team. And and that's not Mm -hmm. something I could have said a few years ago.
0: I could not agree with you more. I mean, so I'm a huge fan of football or soccer, if you will. And I loved when Schweinsteiger, for instance, came over to Chicago. Huge Mm -hmm. news. Although the the reporter who asked him if he's going to help Chicago win the World Cup was slightly Uh, embarrassing. That was awful. But bless Schweinsteiger bless him because he's like, do you mean the Club World Cup? Because yeah, I can help him win that. But he,
2: he just like so helped nice. him so much. I know. He was,
0: oh, I love Schweinsteiger. I want him back. And
2: he came into my radio station a couple times and I was working there and he was just fantastic. Oh. Yeah, oh. I walked into work and there he was sitting in the couch and I just almost fell over. It awesome. It would be great to have him here. Perfect.
1: Speaking of fan bases that are ready and waiting, we need to talk about Toronto. And when it comes to the WNBA and NWSL, does that get talked about much, the idea of those leagues heading north? Or is is it still a nice-to-have kind of idea?
2: No, I, I mean, I think we definitely want to see women's sports expand. I mean, if you really, truly support women's sports, you don't want to just keep it for yourself, right? I mean, mm-hmm. as much as I love the U.S. women's national team, and they have meant a lot to me personally, I was thrilled to see Canada win the gold medal in the Olympics because it means that it's everything is becoming more competitive. And that's really what we want, right? It's no fun to go out and blast everybody, you know, Singapore or whatever, 16-0 every time you're out there. So, you know, we want to see other countries and other fan bases get their shot and succeed. And I think especially because when we saw some of the players that were being cut early on in the WNBA season – people were like this is ridiculous we need more teams like these women should not be getting cut from pro teams and you know canada i mean toronto is always in the conversation of where should teams expand because there is such a great fan base because you know the raptors have done such a great job of of you know riling up that fan base and creating you know basketball mad fans um or maybe they were there already i've never been to toronto but you know what i mean like i would, like we, we we look at that as a great sport city too and so yeah i think mm-hmm. that 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 would be very welcome and i think that you know we would like to see WNBA and NWSL and, and every other kind of women's pro sports team, whether it's lacrosse or whatever it is. I mean, it it makes it more fun when there's more teams and it's a great sign for the sport because it's growing.
1: There we go. And we're ready. I mean, it comes up here. There'll be, there'll be more eyes on the sport. There'll be more marketing dollars invested through ads and commercials and then there'll be more growth
2: absolutely and i know that I, I i deal a lot with the women up at ryerson university who work in the in the sports you know department up there um and, and the great support they have for women's sports and so i know that there are a lot of women um you know up there who would be you know willing to dive in however they can and help get you know something up and running
1: for sure no i look forward to that day i'm sure it's i feel like it's it's gonna be sooner rather than later
0: uh so touch wood that happens when it comes to Toronto, yes, there is always a huge fan base, and I'm very impressed that you're actually working with Ryerson Women, which actually Ryerson has lost its name and it's no longer called Ryerson University. It's oh, now really? called X no University idea. until a new name becomes established. Yeah, well, it's because the the, the indigenous know. movement up here right now.
2: Oh, I see. Yeah, I see. Yeah. So it's Yeah, Rice yeah, I get and- it. Mm. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm. Oh, I'm on mm-hmm. board with yeah. that <laughs> for sure. Yeah, not
0: a good guy. Likewise. Yeah, so much. <laughs> not I. a good guy.
2: We've got a lot of those. Yeah, it's surprising, isn't it? Not really. Mm.
0: (laughs) Right. Uh, What what do you do exactly with formerly known as Ryerson University up here in the frozen tundra that is Canada?
2: Mm, You know, um, I've just been part of, you know, when they have symposiums, when they have panels, things like that, um, you know, they always are networking and trying to bring more women together. And I met a lot of great women. through that organization, you never know, recorded little videos for them to use and, you know, just stuff like that. Just, I think that, you know, there's still so few women working in sports. Um, I know when you turn on the TV, it looks like a lot, but compared to, you know, other industries and compared to the amount of men working in, in sports media, there really aren't a lot. I mean, there are really, a lot of us still walk into whatever our job is, and we're the only woman there. And so I think that you know anything you can do to bring women together um, to network and to give people resources they need to do their jobs better is uh, you know, a great thing. And I know that they do a lot of that work there, not just with women already in the industry, but with students who are trying to get in the industry and sort of connecting people up with mentors and things like that. And I, I think that's really important work. 100%.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that some of the best analysts I've ever met in my life have been women just because they come from like a a really unique perspective based on everything I've seen, especially with Athletics Unlimited. And we hear commentary and like articles I've written. It's just, I still don't understand why it's such a man dominated area when, when like the female market is just saturated with such talent.
2: You know, it's a weird dichotomy because, like I said, there is there are generations now of, of women, not just my generation, but like my kids' generations who have grown up with sports a huge part of their lives just like it is for boys. And then you get to, you know, in all your life, everyone's like, girl power, girls can do anything boys can do. And then you go knocking on the door at Sports Media and it turns out that's not so much the case. So we're starting to see women crack the ultimate glass ceiling of being in the booth, which is amazing. You know, Lisa Byington just got a, a play-by-play job. Kate Scott is going to get a play. Has a play-by-play job. Starting to see more and more women. You know, Jessica Mendoza obviously smashed through that glass ceiling in baseball for all of us. Beth Moens in football. But you're starting to see on lower levels too. Even among the minor leagues in baseball, you're starting to see teams hire women to do their play-by-play or to do their color and do the analysis. And it's it's good to see we are light years behind where we should be, given you know the fact that women had to sue for the right to go into the locker room in 1976. Wow. It feels like, and I think Gail Sirens called the first NFL game nationally in 1987, and it was 30 years later that Beth Moens finally did it nationally again, the second time. So it feels like we're, you know, very much behind where we should be. And the number of women going into sports is actually shrinking. There's actually more women leaving sports.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you have the same type of people in the room, you can have the same type of ideas. You need to have that diversity of thought. So it's very... I, I get it. I'm a visible minority myself, so I, I get it. Like, it. It just needs to happen.
2: Thanks for listening,
0: and be sure to join the Pro Sports Podcasters Facebook group, where you will be able to interact with the hosts and talk to other sports fans. Now back to the show.
1: I feel like uh, this ties into something that I wanted to ask you about, which is your, your latest book, uh, Sideline: The Sports Culture and Being a Woman in America. You mentioned that there are less women getting into media. And I feel like part of that may be because of the way that existing members of the industry are being treated. Can you tell us a little bit yeah. about the book and also uh, some of the barriers to entry for women in media at the moment?
2: Yeah, well, the book happened because I had an editor reach out to me and say, you know, instead of Just screaming into the void on Twitter, all your thoughts about being a woman in sports media, you should put them in a book. And so that's sort of what got me thinking and and allowed the book to happen. The book is about the idea that sports and pro sports, especially in the United States, is sort of a microcosm for the way that women are treated. The fact that, you know, we're willing to overlook things like sexual assault and domestic violence if you really, really like the player is kind of, you know, reflective of the fact that domestic violence and sexual assault get overlooked all the time in America. So I think that, you know, that the way we look at sports and the way women are treated in sports and not just women, but, you know, members of the LGBTQ community, anyone who's in a marginalized group, um, you know, people of color, any any of those things, you know, you can examine it on sports sort of like it's on steroids. And so I think it can be really instructive in that way. And I was really lucky that a lot of women were willing to talk to me about their experiences you know their experiences with the online harassment and being stalked, their experiences with being discriminated against, their experiences with, you know, growing and trying to cover and the way they get criticized, all those kinds of things. and And women, you know, sexual harassment, women, a lot of really big names were really vulnerable telling their stories about, you know, things that have been difficult for them. And I think the way that women present working in sports media versus what women say behind the scenes are very different. I mean, first of all, I, I meet a lot of women when I speak at colleges who say, I really wanted to be a sports reporter. Or I really wanted to be a broadcaster, but I just can't handle the online harassment, so I'm going to go into PR instead. Not that there's anything wrong with PR, but you know we definitely need more women reporting and covering games and talking during games and be visible during games. Those things are really important to normalize women in the sports world. So it's always disappointing to hear that. And I think that one of the things that women – all the way from high schoolers working in their school paper up to women at the very tip top of the industry have mentioned to me is that, you know, if you point out that you're being sexually harassed or if you point out that people are harassing you online and you demand that your workplace protect you or you point out that you're not getting the same opportunities as the men are and you don't know why, that you're punished for that. It's it's like you're, you can stay if you pretend like everything is great. And and so I think, you know, there are a lot of men working in sports who have never worked in any other industry who think that, you know, having, for example, you know, having uh, we're going to work in a place that basically is like a frat house is normal. And it's not. And unfortunately, there aren't a lot of people in positions of power that are willing to do anything about it. Because when it comes right down to it, people really don't want to hear about that. They watch Mm -hmm. sports to escape and they don't want to hear about anything that they deem quote unquote political, which I just take to mean anything that I don't want to think about when I'm watching sports. So, Mm -hmm. you know, racial discrimination, sexual assault and domestic violence, um, you know, the LGBT community, discrimination against anyone, like people just don't want to hear it. And that makes it difficult, I think, for for us to make real meaningful change in the workplace.
1: Yeah. I mean there's there's a section of sports fans that want to be comfortable and yeah. if you disturb them they they react
2: which I think is a real privilege, right? I mean yes. if you're I mean, if you're a woman, how can you watch Antonio Brown without knowing without thinking about the fact that he's been accused of like harming multiple women? If you're black, how can you watch the 49ers and know that Colin Kaepernick should still have a job in this league? You know, what I mean mm-hmm. it's it's only a certain a certain very small segment of the population that is able to sort of set everything aside and just watch sports and not think about that. But unfortunately, they're the most vocal.
1: Yep. Yeah, I think you nailed that one. Just staying with the NFL, we should address John Gruden, I guess, the yeah. former Las Vegas Raiders coach. <laughs> uh,
2: what can you say about John Gruden?
1: Well, I mean, <laughs> the fact is that this only came up because of the Washington investigation, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. It, it wasn't for a separate football team altogether being investigated playing. you're still yeah, in the league yeah, right now. <laughs> yeah. So... <laughs>
2: I I'm I really, it, it's interesting what emails got leaked and what emails didn't, right? Because I'm certain there are plenty of emails about Colin Kaepernick out there that we would all find extremely interesting, but those have not been leaked. You know, I've seen a lot of people sort of screaming about cancel culture and, you know, John Gruden, but the bottom line is when you praise someone for only caring about football and, you know, John Gruden has been praised by any number of puff pieces about how he gets up at 418 in the morning and he sits in front of a screen for 12 hours as if this is like normal human behavior. We tell people that it's okay to care only about football and have that be your life or care only about baseball and have that be your life. And that tends to not create a pool, you know, a candidate pool of like well rounded human beings, Mm. you know, to choose from. And I think it's those emails just sort of validated what a lot of us assumed these guys were saying behind the scenes, because by and large, they are a bunch of privileged white men, many of whom got their jobs through nepotism. You can say that about broadcasting as well, who, you know, and John Gruden, a lot of people have made the case that he really has never deserved the praise that he's gotten in football, you know, that he won a Super Bowl with basically with Tony Junji's team. And, um, you know, after that, he's basically been a 500 coach. So, I just, I mean, it was like you just kind of shook your head and laughed because it was like, of course. I mean, what did you think that these guys were like behind the scenes? And, you know, they always say never meet your heroes. I don't know if John Gurdon's anyone's hero, but I think that... You know, people always say, "Oh my God, you're you work in sports. I would kill to work in sports." And and the fact is that yeah, we work in sports because we love it. But it's also a job, and part of the reason it feels like a job is because this stuff is always coming out. You always hear this kind of stuff from people, and it it's kind of miserable and it's upsetting. So I mean, I don't know. I, I I'm not shedding any tears for John Gruden. I'll just say that.
1: Fair enough. <laughs> I, I think some of the I think some of the Raiders players are enjoying it. I get the impression that they. Yeah, I think they're better off without him. Even in terms of X's and O's, they seem to be playing better without him.
2: They really did. I mean, <laughs> they really seem to be playing much better. So, yeah, I don't um I think that the headline we used a dead spin for their game was no good, no problem. So, um yeah, I mean they they seem like they are not missing a beat.
0: There we go. So, something interesting happened earlier in the last NBA season and that's when Greg Popovich got exiled from a game and Becky Hammond took over. Does mm-hmm. everyone remember that yeah. So, I remember when that happened. I was thinking, and this may sound really weird, but I, I wasn't alone in this thought. It was echoed later on by like other, like ESPN and all that stuff. I was like, "This is fantastic. I love the fact that they're that Becky Hammond is stepping up." Obviously, but I'm like, "Isn't it sad in like 2020, 2021 that that's that's news? That should be the regular. You know what I mean?"
2: Oh, I was going to say, especially when, you know, every time we have, it feels like a women's team ascending, like in the college ranks or in the pro ranks, it feels like they go out often and get a male coach then. So like, why can't we then have women coaching men?
0: Exactly. I know. I'm so down for that. And I would love that. Right. So when Becky Hammond was up and she was making these plays that were just obviously that it was part of the book and everything, but I feel like she was digging from maybe something that Popovich had overlooked. And. Like DeMar DeRozan was even saying after, he was like, you know, it was, it was refreshing to have a different take on everything. And she had a different analytic perspective. And it was just, it's needs to be done. Like, yes, I'm so happy and proud that I got to witness that. But also, why did it take so long?
2: As for why we don't have a woman coaching in the NBA, despite multiple men coaching women in college and in the WNBA, I think the answer is sexism. And I don't think it goes any deeper than that.
0: I agree 110%. Yeah, and that's the thing. For me, it's
1: this is all it all feeds into each other, right? Because when women play sports, that means there are more female leaders, and that will translate to the the boardroom. Yeah, I've speaking to um, Digit Murphy, the the president of the Toronto Six. She mentioned that most uh, corporate leaders who are female have played some form of high level mm-hmm. sports. So that's that's one thing we need. And then from that, right now, I feel like there's an executive problem. So people in sports are just comfortable with people who are like them. It's pale male and still right now across a lot of leagues. So that needs to change. It's not going to be an overnight fix. It's going to take time, but I feel like it's something that we can strive towards and we will reach in time. Maybe I'm just being optimistic.
2: It's a great point. And, and connecting that to women in the boardroom, I think, is so important. You know, I was a I was a gymnast. I was a diver, like most gymnasts become a diver after gymnastics. Oh, um, oh
0: <laughs> we just yeah, had I mean, an interview
2: today about it. Oh, did you? Yeah, we wow. all become divers. And then, you know, I, I played soccer and I played volleyball. And still, in my 40s, draw on moments from, you know, stepping up to take a penalty kick in a huge game or something. It taught me courage. It taught me grace under pressure. It taught me to have a voice and to use it. And you know, I, I got the chance to go to Pakistan a few years ago to learn about how their how sports is developing in Pakistan. And it was so amazing to see girls who were 15, 16, 17 years old who had never run, had never chased a ball, had never done any of those things because it simply wasn't something they were allowed to do in their communities. Mm-hmm. And then I saw these young girls, six, seven, eight years old, yelling at each other on the soccer pitch cricket, you know, talking smack to each other, loud, (laughs) interrupting. And I was just like, that was the first time it really struck me how important sports is and competitiveness in teaching women to find their voices. And it it is so important. And I know Billie Jean King has an organization that does a lot of work with this. It's amazing what it translates to as an adult and how often you go back to those moments and are sort of like, well, if I could do that, I can do this. And I think the being a woman you know in a male-dominated industry no matter what it is you have to have courage every single day to wake up and go out and do it again and keep showing up that experience left such an imprint on me in terms of what sports really mean for so many women certainly it's not the only way to find your voice but it's where a lot of us found our voice
1: sure and you have an award-winning voice a peabody winning voice now do you mind just taking us through that? I believe it was you did a project with um Sarah Spain, is that right?
2: Yeah. So, all right, here's how it happened. Um, I'd written a piece for Sports Illustrated about the abuse that women get online when you work in sports. And I reached out to a bunch of women um, who were very high profile. And two a one, they were like, yeah, do you want me to send you some screenshots of the death threats and rape threats I get? Or should I just send you the whole folder? So, you know, I knew immediately this was like an issue that affected a lot of people. So based on that story, one day I'd have a really frustrating day online. And A lot of mean people. No one wants to hear abroad talk about sports, blah, blah, blah. And I was really just like ready to like punch a wall. When I got this email from these guys and they were like, hey, you don't know us, but you know, we make a lot of videos and for our jobs and we want to make one that's like a public service announcement about online harassment for women and sort of keep the conversation going. And normally I probably would have just deleted it. But I was so angry that day. I was like, yeah, sure, let's do it. Why not? So, you know, I show up and I'm in this warehouse in Ukrainian village in Chicago with a bunch of guys I've never met in my life. And they're reading uh, reading me these tweets that, you know, people have said to me. And we asked a whole bunch of other women to do it. And a lot of people said, you know, oh, my editor wouldn't like it. Or, oh, I think I'll get more harassment if I do that. And I knew Sarah because we had blogged for the same outlet. And I said, let's just ask Sarah. Like, I know she'll do it. So, you know, we recorded it. And then I sort of forgot about it. One day, I took a nap. I woke up and I had like 700 notifications on Twitter. Um, And it was because they had released the video. And it just took off and went around the world. Sarah and I were like doing interviews in Germany and the UK and China. I mean, we were like doing interviews in the cab, like from one interview to another. It was just an absolute whirlwind. And so it was um, kind of surprising that it resonated with people like that. But I'm glad that we got to say that because I think it was something a lot of women had been feeling and hadn't really been able to say.
0: Awesome. There we go. So just want to ask you real quick, how did you switch from and why was the big switch from being a lawyer to sports broadcaster?
2: Um, the short answer is that I did a family law and it destroyed my soul. That
0: Um. would, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense.
2: (laughs) I was a criminal defense attorney and I started doing family law representing domestic violence victims. And uh, man, that is just an absolutely soul crushing experience. But, you know, when blogging really took off, I started a blog, a Cubs, Chicago Cubs blog, and it got Hmm. pretty popular and it got picked up by the Chicago Tribune. And then the Tribune eventually hired me to come in-house and teach other people how to blog. And then from there, um, I got a call from a radio station that said, you know, hey, we want, we're want starting a sports talk radio station and we think you you know should be on it. So that was sort of how it went. But I mean, the short answer was that, you know, I was miserable doing family law and uh, blogging about the Cubs was an outlet, you know, it was an escape every single day. And so I sort mm-hmm. of built up a following. And then, you know, that's what people kind of look for when they're hiring Especially for startups. So it just turned out to sort of all fall in line for me.
0: Perfect. I mean, you know, ebbs and flows and kind of everything happens for a reason and it is what it is. And now we're talking with you, the award-winning journalist. That's. (laughs) I don't think there's award-winning family law attorneys out there. No, I mean, mean, no,
2: yeah. Nobody wins (laughs) in family law.
0: I was going to say like, how do you, you know, like I'm not as depressed today.
2: Right. I mean, I've worked on death penalty cases that were less depressing than family law. You know, I mean, it's just... Oh,
0: my God.
2: It's just, I mean, being a criminal defense attorney, you know, it was heartbreaking at times, but it was actually fun. Yeah, there's nothing fun about family law in any way. It's terrible.
1: (laughs) I wanted to ask about something that I guess the three of us have been learning a bit more about, something that you're an expert in, and that's the editorial process for your articles. So you're the senior editor at Deadspin. Take us through that if you don't mind. Sorry to drag you back into work mode, but what's that like?
2: Uh, You know, I think – so I'll be honest. For me, it's tough sometimes because I'm really a writer. You know, having to be an editor – is like you're working on other people's writing instead of your own. And I think that that's a hard thing for a lot of writers to sort of get over. So I mean, I do do my own writing, but the vast majority of my time is spent on other people's. You know, I I really do enjoy it though because there are a lot of younger writers. I didn't come up with a traditional journalism background, but I did go to journalism school. So it's it's sort of reaching way back for me for for things that I learned. For me, because of my law background, I approach it or at least I approach my own articles like a jury trial and I'm sort of thinking about all the ways that people are going to say this is... Can I swear? Yes. All the way that people are going to say this is bullshit, you know, or this is bullshit or this is bullshit. So I'm all about shoring stuff up with you know, making sure that everything is linked to everything, you can verify every single fact. And so that's a lot of of what I work on with people. And, you know, then some days it's just sort of copy editing and putting stuff up because there isn't really anything that in-depth that people are talking about. So it's something different. It's something I'd never really done before, but I've learned a ton just in the 18 months I've been at Deadspin. You know, things about journalism and, and the, even the way things are perceived by people, you um, what you can do and what you can't do. And a lot of times people, you know, have opinions about what was reported or what's not reported. And you can't really go out and say, well, the reason we couldn't report this is because, you know, our anonymous source, blah, blah, blah. You know, I mean, you can't reveal that kind of stuff. So I think it's also sort of an exercise in humility a lot of times and just watching people say mean things to you and just kind of ignoring it because, you know, there's more to the story. But it's really interesting. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of in this hybrid role where I get to write and I get to edit. So I get the best of both worlds.
1: I like that. That's awesome. And and also, insiders are not fantasy football analysts. I said what I said. If you know, you know what I'm talking about. I, I, you know what I'm talking about, Julie, don't you?
2: Do I? I don't know.
1: Uh, Shefter does a lot of stuff talking about fantasies He's like, mate.
2: Oh, does he? Oh, I don't even read that.
1: Okay. You know,
2: I called him, I, I first of all, I didn't write this headline, but I did write a piece about this joke he made about the elections in 2020, and the people who put, the, the guys who put the headlines on it, who are my colleagues, called him a vacuous turd, and um, I got so much hate from it. People were like, Adam Schefter's 10 times the journalist you'll ever be, and then, and then ha, not so much.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, things come full circle, don't they, Justin?
0: <laughs> Hell yeah, they do. And you're saying that as if you have some dirt on me that I don't know about. Yeah, no, that no, was very you're, ominous. You're,
1: you're good. You're yeah. good, except except until Pascal Siakam breaks out, then then you're done. <laughs> I,
2: I mean, was like, like, are you? Gonna, I was wondering you had something about me. Things come full circle, don't they, Justin? I mean, that was very.
0: That was very ominous. It like, like, yeah, it was very yeah, sort of James
2: Bond villainy kind of thing.
0: Remember that boyfriend you broke up with in high school? Well, <laughs> we, we have? Got him on, on the right phone. Now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's get him up. Let's bring him out,
1: <laughs> Jerry, Jerry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> She's horrible. I don't even know. I don't know. We should do that one day. We should just call up somebody's ex and like bring him on the show.
2: Yeah, or like a bad ex-coworker or something. You guys are gonna have it out right here, right now. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Anyways, Julie, where can our fans find you on social medias?
2: Well, um, I am currently taking a long break from Twitter. Don't know if I'll be back or not. So Instagram, I guess, at Julie DeCaro, and I've got a Facebook page, and you can read all my writing over at Dudspin. I
0: was going to say I wanted to follow you on Twitter, and it was not there. I was so sad.
2: Yeah, I, I, yeah that that decision was a long time coming. We'll see how long it lasts, because it is like an addiction. I mean, nobody goes stays at a place that is so abusive <laughs> if you don't have like a problem.
1: <laughs> and. I don't have Twitter by design, so welcome to the club, Julie. Thank you. <laughs> it does feel it's a bit
2: a- like detox, or you know, something. Yeah,
1: right. Yeah, right. Just I feel like there's more cons than pros. But Julie is also the co-host of the Ladies Room with her colleague Jay McManus. So make sure you subscribe to that as well and listen to the good stuff that's coming out of the, the media industry in the United States. Yeah, we appreciate your time. We we should let you go. We've taken up a lot of your time I know, but we've had a great chat, haven't we, Justin? Thank you so much.
2: You're welcome. It was lots of fun. I had a blast, really.